It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. My very special guest is the head of CFL Statistics, Steve Daniel, our annual Christmas podcast. Steve, welcome to the program once again. I'll put it this way. There's nothing like the present. That's a very great point. Again, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. Thank you. You've had a trying year this year. There's a transition that went on. Obviously, in any change, there's going to be stumbling blocks what was 2023 for you starting way back when being put forward? I guess if you look at my CFL career, which started in 2005, so I've been there 18 years now, I would say easily it was the most challenging, time-consuming, difficult year to have endured because of the challenges that we had. But we can overcome them, which we'll talk about in in more detail, but easily the toughest year I've ever had. Just just how much work it was. It's it, With anything, there's growth, there's always pain. And I know at some points, like there was, especially from outside, there was a lot of frustration with Genius and how much attention they were putting to the fixes. I'm guessing now that's been sort of ratcheted up and much more uh, of the fixes are in place. My colleague, Jeff Creever and I, we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy in ensuring that in real time, the data that we record and the data that we publish are 100% accurate. The hardest part for us was that play changes could not be made in the moment. We had to wait on them some. And so errors in the data persist as a game goes along. But to your point, and this is great credit to Jeff, who is a little closer to the genius sports people than I am, I'm a little closer to the data quality and when it leaves the building, if you know what I mean, is that we made fixes all year long and that different iterations of the program were affected as the year went on now and then a change will create another problem that you weren't aware of, a new one. It was kind of like three steps forward and then one or two back. But I'll have to say by the end of the year, it was much, much better simply because we keep pointing out what needed to be fixed. And there are still a fairly extensive list, but it's a little more manageable, a little understandable as we head into this off-season. So we we covered a lot of ground, but there's lots more to do. Now, as you go into the off-season, do you take a game and beta test? Or do you, how do you, how do you make improvements now that the uh, off-season is upon? Uh, That's a really hard question to answer. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be at all. That's standard practice. It's up to the people at Genius Sports to do that testing. The model that I've always subscribed to is this. If you have a system and it produces these results, and then you give it another system the same data, the same entries, it should produce the same results. And it didn't. And so 
that level of testing, I think, might be an area we can look at to say, look, we got to test this a little bit better. I'm not here to say what Genius Sports business is or not. I'm concerned by the results and how much effort it took post-game to release what we could. Jeff and I try to behave as professionally as we can in giving our clubs the best data that we can. And that will always be our standard. So off-season, I'm hoping this list gets smaller and smaller and smaller as we work with them. But it was, and I'll admit it, at times frustrating. But as the season went on, less so. That I can say with 100% clarity and honesty. Fair enough. Well, let's move away from that because that has been <laughs> hashed out in the media forever. I know the commissioner has taken some hits and had to apologize. But one of the things that really I noticed there must be vast improvement was we got halftime stats at the Grey Cup. That was Jeff's idea. And I think that we have done it in the past, but we really made an effort to be in the press box as clear as we could to announce things that I typically my role at the great cup is to vet the data, of course, but I sit with the announcer too, right beside them or announce myself and say, this is a set of data that you as media can absorb. Here's the second down conversions, or here's some analytic. I announced a bunch of that. And so what we tried to do was get as much information out as quickly as we could. And the halftime stats were a big part of it. I loved that choice Jeff made. And I think we're going to try to do that much more often, maybe in the playoff games and things like that. But that's a feature that maybe down the road we can do all the time. Which would be cool because one of the things that I really enjoyed about it, and especially looking back at that Grey Cup, you can see what happened in the first half, how Winnipeg was doing this in the second half they weren't. Montreal, Cody Fajardo, especially in the second half, was laser sharp and picked apart a very stout Winnipeg defense. I think I wrote in my notes, Don, that he completed a whole bunch of passes in a row. Was it 12 or 13 or 14 or something like that? Started me looking at the record book for that. And and just the quality of Cody's performance comes out in the numbers that, that I've got. What I tip, typically do is I chart as the game goes on, where he's completing his passes, what trends are there. And we actually shared that a little bit with the people around us. And that sort of analytical approach to the Grey Cup, for me, is just flat out fun. I love taking that game apart. And I've got 30 Grey Cups done that way that I've never published. And uh, I have to admit, that, that drives me to the end of the season, I'll tell you that. Analytics is a big part of my life and here and, and at UBC and, and it's uh you know, same skill set and the same drive to say this is how the game breaks itself down. And I enjoy that. It's the story within the story. It's what everyone says, well, the Alouettes did this, the bombers weren't able to do this, but then you hear you come with the data and you say, Look at this, this is what it's teaching us. That's this and and like I've mentioned once already, my work at UBC, it's the same thing. Statistics, football particularly, are all about patterns. They're all about the pattern of decision-making. I try to take the statistics and work backwards to get at the decisions that go into them. My least favorite word throughout any day is the word stats. To me, 
their results, their results of decisions. And so if you look at Dalton Schoen catching only three or four passes in the game, there's a reason for that. And to find that reason, if you look at Montreal's defense, they're extremely athletic. They're not big, but boy, they covered a lot of ground. And when you have a, a player of the quality of Marc-Antoine Decoy or Tyrese Beverett, they're it's like they're all Sam linebackers. Everybody behind the line of scrimmage could play that position on the Alouettes. And uh, that was hard for, for Winnipeg to confront, and a surprise, I'm sure. But, you know, they deserved to win that game analytically and in the patterns that I was seeing. Good on them. It would You would have been hard-pressed to find anyone that would have chosen the Alouettes to win the game going into the contest. For sure. And yet, here we are. They are the champions. For sure. They were a surprise to me. But then when you look, kind of look back at it, I know it's hindsight, but just the way they played the game, they were patient and... You know, they really play to the strengths of their defensive guys. You know, their offense is, is, I guess you could characterize it as pretty standard CFL, you know, average in rankings and things like that. But on the day, boy, did they ever raise themselves up? It was at a level I hadn't seen them. And then Cody Vajardo, you know, people describe Cody as kind of Mr. Average. I don't cotton to that. He's got this range of ability. He's got a good arm. And he's smart. And he plays to his strengths. He throws the ball, put it this way, successfully. They're not a deep-throwing team, which surprised the heck out of me on that third and sixth, third down play at the end. They throw the ball 35 yards downfield. Who's going to do that? The probability of completing a pass of that kind is probably 10%. And they did it. Wow. Exactly. That, sh- that shook me. I, okay. <laughs> it wasn't what I was called, but then thankfully I'm not their coach. <laughs> it, was, it was really well executed. Good on them. You look at that sequence. At the beginning of that, Fajardo is sacked for only the second time in the game. On second down, he has to hot foot it outside and he's trying to make it up himself, leaving that third down. Yeah. And then you've got... Austin Mack, who played lights out, doing an in route, and Cole Speaker runs down the sideline. Winnipeg thinking, well, they only need six. They jump the interior guy and leave Speaker alone. And if Speaker's ever going to catch a pass in this league, more important than that one, I'm not not sure we could find one. But that's right. That's the pattern in what they did, is they did the unexpected. And and I've always said this kind of to myself, but Winnipeg's one of Winnipeg's many strengths is that they do things in a very unexpected way. They follow the formula, they have the their players and and their strengths, but then all of a sudden they do things that surprise you. It's this sort of unexpected nature of their play calling that really makes their that sort of diversity. Well, they had that right back at them. You know, they had their own strategy applied to them. I have nothing but respect for the Bombers. They're a really great organization, but they didn't win. <laughs> Let's look at this in another way, too. And I've talked about this on this podcast before, but if Cole Speaker doesn't have to slow up to catch the ball and Parker doesn't tackle him, Montreal may score on that play. Then what have you got for the final 35 seconds? 
Yeah, that's the the old thing. You know, it's never over in the Canadian Football League. And 35 seconds is an eternity, especially when you're now kicking off from the 30 or taking the ball at the 40 after a field goal. We couldn't then, of course, but um, field position starting point this year on average was, I think, the 38-yard line, which is fairly far upfield. And, and so you could expect them to get a pretty good starting point and be two first downs away from being able to come back. And so there's all these things that are kind of running through my head as I'm looking at it from an analytical point of view. I'm just, it just all played out like it was planned. Their coaches are smart. And I tell you, I've known Northrop for a long time. The questions he asks of our statistics after each and every game are amazing. He misses nothing. No one questions our statistics in a good way. Better than Noel. He analyzes every single tackle. And I got a, a funny one to tell you. He's so profoundly focused on his guys. There was a play that ran from somebody's nine-yard line. They ran one play against the, his defense, and it gained a yard or a yard and a half. And then the next play. And they both, if you combine the two, they combined to exactly four yards or something. He questions the first one saying, well, we didn't gain two. We only gained one and a half. So we should reduce that play to one yard. So I said, no, but that would change the next one to three, wouldn't it? And he goes, oh, yeah, right. Because <laughs> it moved from the nine to the five. That's the, it's a compliment for him. It's a, his level of attention to detail. That could be said about, I think, the entire Montreal organization. Analytics, statistics. Since you've been there, how has it taken root and how is it growing? When I got to the CFL and got the full-time job in 2007, I'd been a contractor for a little bit, was I have carte blanche. Just tell us what you're going to do. That's all. You can do whatever you like, but just tell us what you have in mind. And so I looked around, and we had nothing, zero. All we had was just the, the basic three yards per rush, completion percentage type numbers. And I thought, okay, well, what makes sense? So I made a list. People didn't talk about second down conversion percentage in those days or even red zone or the stuff now that has become, and this is the way I like to put it, Don, it's now become part of the language of our game. And if you listen to a broadcast and compare its sophistication to a broadcast in 2007 or six, there's your objective measure. They're talking about these things. And now the clubs consider it. So I created this game analysis report in 2008 and nobody even looked at it until about a year went by and they started to ask questions. What's this mean? How do you define that? What's a big play? And now when you watch an NFL game or our game, it's all about explosive plays and covering and analytics are now part of the way you talk about football. That's where I derive my joy from. And I had to start from basically a blank slate. I had learned a bunch of that when I was in the NBA. I brought that logic with me because I was part of my role on our Memphis Grizzlies was to take apart each possession. We had, what play did we call? What happened? What plays did we call against this opponent on the road? That. 
And now the game announcer supports like 15, 16 pages. Both sides of the ball, special teams. It, it's just become, and especially in the last two years, really something even different than I envisioned in 2008. It now encompasses what I would call our whole product. What are we selling out the door? What is it you you get when you turn on or attend a CFL football game? So that's where analytics, for me, that's where I contribute. So look, I can give you stuff to talk about, but also stuff to help you run your club. They're two different uses of the same process. Uh, that to me means it really, it's going to stay and be part of that language. This is our game. And you can understand our game by understanding these things. The test of it is if you look at, say, second down conversion, the four top rated second down conversion teams were Winnipeg, BC, Montreal, and Toronto. What's that tell you? Top four records. Yeah. That's what those correlations between the analytics and winning or losing. That's a big part of it. If it doesn't, why? The good coaches, they look at that information. They say, wait a minute, we're at the bottom here on second end. Yeah. What are we doing wrong? And then that helps them coach up their teams, puts different emphasis on different play sets. Exactly. One of, the, one of my more favorite statistics is second down conversions are fine, but what is the average yards to go by team? So with Winnipeg, theirs was, I think, 5.9 yards. Edmonton or Ottawa, I think, it was almost eight. That's a, an enormous difference. Of, and, you know, it gets a little bit skewed if you get an 80-yard completion for a touchdown on first down or something like that. But there aren't many of those. On average, that's two less yards to have to gain. And that opens up so much more of what's in your playbook and strategy. But that's a really key one that, I think it started about four or five years ago. When when someone says that on the air, you know they're reading it and listening. I like that. That's another test. Wow. How about that? Well, think of it this way too. And you mentioned it. Like Ottawa has to gain two yards on average more to get another first down on second down. Well, how many times does that happen? It's not just the fact that they do it every once in a while. This is how many plays do they have and how many times does this play out? The average number of second down, second down conversion opportunities in the game is around 24 or so. So if you were to say, okay, 10 or 11 of those are influenced by this. So there's 11 opportunities where they're in much longer situations in second down than Winnipeg or, or BC would be. And that adds up. If you convert three less times, that's three drives where you're forced to kick. And that hurts. I also track the percentage of the time that a team will get a touchdown or a field goal. They'll get something substantial out of a drive. And with Winnipeg, I think I use them as the model because their their numbers are pretty good. You know, they're upwards of fifty percent of the time they're they're scoring in some way. And that's why I included field goal percentage in this kind of game quality index that, that I take all the data and merge into field goal percentage is important because if you miss field goals, they're coming back at you out of the end zone. 
no one gives up singles anymore unless they have to. They are running the ball out of the end zone at a rate that I've never seen before. So these these are trends in the game you notice. So making field goals, you know, you get the points, and then they have to start over. So, yeah, I, there's all these little trends inside the game that are fascinating to observe. And um, our coaches, they like to ask about it. How are we compared to somebody else? And uh, I get that question a lot, which is gratifying. Unanticipated outcomes. You would have thought that given that after a single, the ball is now being moved to the 40, the teams would be more reticent about running the ball out of the end zone. That's what I thought too. And, and I, I'm going to run it out. I think it's the, for me, I think it's the, the player inside the player. I have a chance to, to make a big play here, and I'm not going to turn down that opportunity. I think that's why. But I'm not a player. I think, all right, break one tackle or something, and now you've got an opportunity to get the ball farther upfield or score a touchdown, and um, maybe that's it. It's, it's hard to know. I'm curious about some teams. They will not try 50-yard-plus field goals. Under any circumstances. Others, all for it. I know it's got something to do with the wind and things like that, but under normal circumstances or conditions, they won't. I find that fascinating as well, to look at the different strategies teams have. And some teams simply do not want it. I know no one wants to turn the ball over, but it's almost like avoiding it as much as possible and playing the game as conservatively as possible. Other teams, much less so. So you see this in the data. And then I had one team, actually two teams, contact me and say, can you come to our office and explain all this stuff and then tell us what do we do on third and four at this part of the field? What is the probability? What would you do? And I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's, thanks for asking. Um, and I'll help every team equally. Just, if you want to talk about analytics, just I'll be on the next flight. And that to me is really, I've done that, I think, for four different teams. And uh, again, it just says, hey, this stuff matters. Some teams I never hear from at all. There's one team I don't think I've ever talked to them ever. and. I think I know why. It's not that they don't like what I'm doing. And, and you know, I am so far from perfect, I'll tell you. You have to try things. And some things work and some things don't. But with respect to this one club, they see it as so important. They go out and do it themselves so that they can get it instantaneously. And so it's, well, we don't need you because we can do it ourselves. But we see what you're doing, and we kind of like it, so we're going to do it that way too. But we'll do it ourselves. I'm all right with that. You would think, though, on some level that they want independent verification. They com- they'll they compare. Yeah, they'll compare. And I think uh, they'll always look at what you give them and say, wow, we got something different. But uh, for me, 
some decisions are a little harder than others. And the the hardest one for me is sort of this left, middle, right on our field because our hash marks are so close together. What's middle? It's not very wide. When you kind of sector the field into its parts for passing. And that's another thing I don't really like doing very much is, okay, these are completed passes in this area and trying to pin it on a particular defender. I never do that because defense, defenses play as a team. And so there's a lot more factors in it than just saying this guy had 12 passes completed against him in his area this game. I, I stop well short of that. It's like drop passes. Some groups who analyze football games want, to, want that all over that. I don't even look at it ever because you don't know what's between the quarterback and the receiver. You can't. Some of them are obvious, of course, but not in general. Then it makes a player look bad. Who wants to do that? The coaches can do that on their own. Thank you. You have to be a little careful about some of these things because they're people. So am I. I mean, I get people dump on you, but not often. That's the one thing I like about the CFL the most is that people tend to respect one another fairly well. And uh, I've always been treated with respect by whoever I'm working with and for. That's one thing I love about our league. You talked about the hash marks and trying to figure out what's left, right, and center. <laughs> They're eight yards apart right now. I believe in the 50s, they were eight yards away from the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> They've been coming in on a pretty regular basis uh, ever since then. And I look at when I was scoring games from the 50s and 60s, I think, same field? And, you know, the difference in, goal, in the goalposts and stuff like that, it reminds me of that play. I think I mentioned to you a couple of times. I actually got a chance to see the play. And that was the BC Lions were kicking a field goal at Toronto. We talk about changes of the rules. Gary Schreider, he was with the Lions for only one year, and he uh, attempted a field goal, hit the right goalpost, just dropped in the mud on the two-yard line. And everybody sort of stood around. Well, Gary wandered down, picked it up, ran it in the end zone for a touchdown. Thank, thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> He didn't score a whole bunch of touchdowns in his career, but that was one of them. And, uh, of course, right away after, they changed the rules that it was a dead ball as soon as it hit the uprights. So the size of the field and the, the markings on it, like we had a thing with punting, we would do inside and outside the numbers. Well, there's not that much room outside the numbers. If you're going to punt out there and you're risking uh, a penalty, which is a whole other area of, of analytics, which I find really intriguing. Well, especially if a coach is risk averse. Yeah. Does he want his punter to take that chance and maybe get that 10-yard penalty for not getting it out inside the 10? Well, we've got a bunch of global punters and kickers. And to be honest with you, they were so effective. And we had, I think we had the highest punting average in the history of our game this past year. People like Cody Grace and Joseph Zima and long timers like Richie Leone, and they're really good. So we have the best group of punters in the history of the league is on our teams today. Our field goal kickers bounced back from an off year last year, and they were at 85%. Exactly the same percentage as in the NFL, 85%. And that's another thing that my boss has me doing is I track each and every NFL game 
in some way so that I can track their analytics against ours right down to their down conversion and track by their standards and then compile all that data into some sense of what the quality of their game is. And so when you look at a game that like there was two weeks ago, wasn't there an NFL game where the score was three, nothing Minnesota and at Las Vegas. Yes. Oh boy. That's uh there's a whole lot of three and outs there. So we had one years ago, Ottawa and BC was like seven, five or something like that. So their average scoring is, is down a lot, but I, I'm not, I don't want to just the NFL in any way whatsoever. They're, they have a different way than us and a different rule set. That's that's one of the things that we track too is big plays. And the and the likelihood of a big play in our league is considerably higher because of our rules. Specifically on offense, our players can be moving forward at the snap. The receivers and running backs. In NFL NFL you can't. And that makes a substantial difference. So there's a few of those that lend itself to to our game. Just the base at the foundation. Heard this repeatedly from corners that have played in both leagues, is that in the NFL you can use the boundary as an ally. In the CFL, it's just not there. It's too far away. It's too far away. Throwing from the right side, and well, that's a lot of ground to cover. So their their game is just it's kind of the whole field setting thing with eleven guys. Some of the speed and size of the players they have. I'm amazed they can score at all. It's a testament to this. And one statistic I track very carefully is the number of different quarterback starters in a given season. And for us, ours wasn't too bad this year. We had, if no quarterback ever gets hurt, you're going to have nine different starters. This year we had 21. A few years ago it was 25, which is awful. NFL, their minimum would be 32. But I think they're already up to 50-something. So quarterbacks are are fragile. Like, look at Aaron Rodgers. Goes down in, what, third or fourth play that he was in the game for the Jets. Replacing quarterbacks is tough. For us, that was the thing. For me, there were two core trends that I enjoyed the most. And that is the performance of our Canadian players like Nick Dembski and Brady Oliveira and Ben Halak from the Lions and players like that, the performance they had is indistinguishable from any other player. I don't care where you're from. And the fact that the, the quarterbacks we put in to replace injured number ones did better than the number ones in many respects. Look at Trey Ford, Dustin Crum. They were really good at times. Jake Delgallo was it was terrific toward the end of the year. Being able to have a quarterback come in and not affect materially what you're doing, that's one of the strengths of our game as well. All games have weaknesses, and we do too, but that was a good one. We're, we're fortunate. Taylor Powell in Hamilton, another yeah, one. Another one. He, he was great. It was seamless. And you had a guy like Cody Vajardo steps up his game even better than he was before. Or look at Vernon Adams, the year he had. So you lose Nathan Rourke, and you think, okay, down we go. And our overall passer rating was comparable to the year before. It was little, if any, different. 
it was much better than two years ago, the first half year after the pandemic season cancellation in 2020. And we chart that very carefully. That's part of what we call the quality, the quality of our gain. And for us, the graph is up. And I think the commissioner was talking about that. That is state of the league at the Great Cup. That's what he was referring to in many cases. We have distinct ways of measuring it internally among our executive group. Part of my job is to give them that objective set of measures to say, this is how we measure how we're doing. And I do that every week and give them a report. And my boss is great. And he takes it to their meeting and he describes, this is why. Or this is why not. And we have to admit, we started very slowly last year. But boy, it built. And if you look at our numbers after week eight, and that was part of the of the final season-ending product review, the numbers up to week eight were weak. The numbers from week nine to 21 skyrocketed. Scoring was up way up in the final 13 weeks of the season. Everything, every metric you can name. All of a sudden, after week eight, went straight to the roof. Why? Something changed after week eight. To this day, I'm still trying to find out why. <laughs> but, but I liked it. <laughs> I just wonder if teams are starting to gel and things are starting to make sense. Because yeah. you've, you've got a very short training camp in the CFL. And I yep. do believe that probably the first couple of weeks, they're still trying to sort themselves out. Yep. After eight weeks, you've kind of got, you've identified who your, your guys are. You've got a more stable roster. There's all those things. And I think that's a pretty good explanation. But to be that profoundly different, to have scoring over the final 13 weeks average, um, what was it, almost 53 points a game compared to 45 in the first eight weeks? You know, that's an extra touchdown a game. Second down conversions, three or four or five percent higher. Huh? Okay. Thank you very much. Or big plays. You know, instead of five per game, now we've got six per game. That may not seem like much. Or kick return touchdowns. We haven't got any. All of a sudden we have 17. All three phases of the game are, are there. Our sacks were huge in the first eight weeks. And then they flattened right out. Offensive lines, like you just said, Don. And he's starting to figure it out. And offensive lines are dominated by Canadian players. Case in point, Montreal Lats, we go right back to that Grey Cup game where the Owls had averaged roughly five to six sacks allowed a game, two in the Grey Cup. Yeah, what a difference. They just performed at a level that was impressive. Everything about what they did, just watching and thinking, okay, well, guess that's that. All of a sudden, they make plays that change the outcome. I was really impressed. And it was such a compelling Grey Cup for that reason. I think I've been at, what, 15 or 16 now? It was easily the most unpredictable, wild, crazy game, I thought. We've had two in a row where the fourth quarter, if you looked away, you missed something. The other game that was so unbelievable was that Toronto victory over Calgary in Ottawa in 2017. Yeah. Where a 9-9 nine and nine Argonauts team beats the juggernaut. Yeah. 
that was just a shock to me again, but you like that. You, you want that level of uncertainty and that in the product review that I do, I always analyze where we are so I can give suggestions and, and ideas to our executive committee. So look, this is what I'm observing. Look for yourself. And that quality of uncertainty right to the end is something we measure very carefully. In the NFL this year, it's almost by default because the scoring is so low. Most of the games are one-possession games. Whereas this year, I think it was 60% of our games aren't decided until the final three minutes. That's a pretty big number. That can only help our product because you're holding fans farther into the game and entertaining them, which is ultimately what one of the things I'm there to measure. And that's why I think it's a privilege to be able to do this because I might have an idea and my boss thinks, eh. and then all of a sudden someone thinks, well, and all of a sudden we do it. And all of a sudden my boss will come back and say, wow, this is great. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of the uh, classic Steve mistake of quarterback pressures. Never doing that again. But I'll leave that to the coaches to figure out. Speaking of quarterback pressures, what do you think of PFF? What 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 does that mean to you? Is it good for the league to have that? What do you think? I think it's good to have an attractive outside group looking at it. My only kind of, I wouldn't call it negative. I would, my only kind of maybe objection or something like that is, is that if you publish stuff that they're doing, and they've got great ideas, lots of them. Is it, it looks like we published it. Whereas I stay away from some of those things like quarterback pressures. The, the, the thing is this, if you're going to publish analytics, statistics, anything, explain what they're based on. Tell me how you calculated that. Tell me how you differentiate when a play with a quarterback pressure and one without, when the differences are so subtle. And so, is it or is it not? It's like, I'm just grading an exam right now. Is that what the person meant to say or not? That's my only complaint. Objectivity really matters to me. This is a big play, and this isn't. That's why my least favorite play in the whole game is a 29-yard anything. Because the the threshold is 30. Yeah, it's at its core. You, you mean to tell me it's not a big play if you gain 29 yards from the 30 down to the opponent's one? Of course, it's a big play, but you got to draw a line somewhere. So with pro football focus, I think there's lots there that the fans love, and that's great. I, I just like a little bit more explanation as to how some of this gets gets derived. That's all. That's my perspective on it. We're into the off-season. What's next on your docket? What do you have to do? Uh, we have our winter meetings, and uh, this year they're down south, so I'm heading there. I got a chance last year out west in Alberta, Calgary, or near Calgary, to stand in front of presidents, general managers, and head coaches in a room where they could tear me to shreds, and I would like that because it gives me nothing but good feedback. And then I present them the analytics in depth so I can go into each one and say, okay, this is what it means for you. And they'll have the whole of Burton right in front of them. And then they'll say, well, I don't like this one or can you do that one? And it becomes a dialogue. And so I'm traveling to a, 
uh, the United States in January at our winter meetings. And then that has a component also of the rules committee. And so, okay, here's a rule and we need data to support it. Should we do this? Or do you have data on that? And I have data that I don't publish, but I keep it just in case. It's like I'll take our plays. There's 150, the average is 146 plays a game. Say 150 in round numbers. I'll take apart. What are those plays? Special teams, offense. What kind of offense? What's the play negated by a penalty? Did the play even start like procedure? So I can characterize a game. Say this is our game. Consists of these plays. And then at that level of depth, this group is listening. And so for 30 minutes, I get to stand there and say, okay, here's what I see. And that is so fun. And then you take that into the rules committee and say, okay, what can we do to make this better? What else would you want? (laughs) I can't imagine asking for anything else. It's an amazing experience to have. Well, I'm fortunate to be position I'm at and they've kind of said some good things to me this off season, which maybe we'll find out about later, but it's been a, from a personal side lately, it's been pretty good. So not bad for someone who's not the youngest person in the world anymore. I've been doing it a long time. So, Hey, you know, I started in the NBA and it's the same set of ideas. Here's the game and here's this pieces. Now let's put them together and see what we've got. And uh, that is just heaven to have as a job. Why not? Steve Daniel, thank you so much for doing this again. I really appreciate talking to you. This is always a treat for me. Thank you. And I love your show. It just uh, gives me a chance to kind of think about what it is we're doing because you ask good questions. And I always appreciate the chance. Thank you, Don. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.